Hey, everybody. This is Frankie from the Breakpoint Podcast. We want to thank you all for tuning in to Marcus and I discussing our love and passion for the game of tennis. Your engagement and support goes a long way to helping this podcast continue to grow. Please be sure to give us a follow, rate our podcast on our social channels, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google, or any other place that you get your podcasts. And on social media, Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast 7, Twitter at Breakpoint Pod 7, LinkedIn, and of course, our website, podpage.com forward slash break dash point dash podcast. Remember to subscribe to our podcast so you're the first to know when there's a new episode drop and more people like you can find our podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Breakpoint Podcast starring myself, Marcus Smith, and my co-host, Frankie Nicolazzi. We are back here to discuss the end of the U.S. Open. What happened over the past two weeks has been absolutely wild, both on the men's and the women's side. Frankie, I'm really excited to get into this. Talk to me about, let's just get right into your biggest headline that you think from either draw or from the whole tournament, what was the biggest headline for you at the Open? For me, the the biggest headline by far is the women's side. I think the women's side was a far more interesting tournament than the men's, personally. Um, I think the men's final kind of sucked, to be honest with you, but oh, yeah. we'll get into that. But the women's final, I thought, was super compelling, and Marcus and I were just talking pre-tournament uh, or pre-podcast rather about Coco Golf a little bit, and I was saying to him that, you know, what I said a month and a half ago about Coco after that Wimbledon first round loss, like I still obviously believed at the time because she was just at such a low point. I was really sort of questioning what was happening there and what her ceiling would be, and then this run uh, during the North American hardcourt season has just been phenomenal. I mean, she played so, so well. And for me, Marcus, the moment that I knew something was different was when she beat Iga Svantec. That match for me was such a monumental win for her that it really, you saw this confidence in her that I don't think was there before. And I saw her really not just sort of revert to being super defensive, in tight matches against heavy hitting opponents, I saw her really start to believe in herself and push forward into the court more. And I think that an, a reason why that is, is not only the coaching of Brad Gilbert, which has clearly made a massive difference um, on her approach, but also her skills in doubles are translating to results in singles. Her net play is night and day from where it was last year, even the year before. And that development, I think, has supremely benefited her. Uh, and the serve has always been there. The backhand has always been there. The problems for Coco have been her forehand can just get a little bit loopy. And her transition from defense to offense has not been super great. But this tournament, we saw her incredible athleticism overtake pretty much anybody that she played and allow her to really take advantage of a situation where she just beat people who were in front of her. She didn't have a crazy difficult draw, but I don't blame her for that. She beat who was in front of her, took care of business, 
and ultimately had to play the number one ranked player in the world now, Arena Sabalenka, who looked phenomenal this entire tournament and won the first set. And Coco came back and won that match. She won her championship and she was amazing. I thought she had a phenomenal, phenomenal tournament. Yeah, I am thir- I'm on board with you. I'm thoroughly impressed by Coco. An amazing tournament, from, kind of from the start that we knew that was going to be hers. It just had that that kind of vibe to it. And to see a 19-year-old not only win her first Grand Slam, which is incredible in and of itself, but also to be ranked now number three in the world singles. And as you mentioned, the doubles aspect, I think, is being really overlooked here. Number one in the world in doubles with Jesse Pagula at the moment. That's an incredible stat. They unfortunately didn't win the women's title, which would have been pretty epic. I don't know if it would have probably actually helped her in the long run win the singles because you do need that little bit of extra rest. But still incredible that she's willing to put in a full effort uh, on the singles and the double side, not cheating anybody and not cheating the game. Super impressive. And Frankie, I'm going to slightly disagree with you on her draw. I thought her draw was actually pretty difficult. I mean, the first round, Sigamund was giving her some weird nonsense. And then she beats Andreva pretty straightforward. Elise Mertens used to be a top 10 threat. She played really well there. Beat Caroline Wozniacki, who was the story, the second kind of story headline of the Open after beating multiple seeded players. Took her out in three. Then she spanks Ostapenko after Ostapenko just beat Iga. And then beat Karolina uh, Mukova, um, four and five which i think is a fantastic win and the takeout sabalenka the best player in the world in the final is i mean she thoroughly thoroughly deserved it we saw a lot of brad gilbert winning ugly tennis on display a lot of scrappy points a lot of tactical adjustments that she made used her athleticism played to her strengths uh, but also has shored up those weaknesses. Like you mentioned, the forehand, she's a little bit more aggressive with it, but also smart aggressive with it, not going for too much, changing direction nicely. Sab- she was making Sabalenka run hard and breathe hard. It was beautiful to watch. And I think Coco is a legitimate threat at all slams now. Um, at all four, she's already made a French Open final when she was 18, which was incredible. She's made the fourth round of Wimbledon when she was 15. So I just love the added dynamic of of the women's game now. It's not just an Iga Sabalenka thing. It's there's a lot of girls in the mix. There might be tiered. Whether Coco can maintain in that kind of top two tier, let's see. But I think this is awesome for the women's game. And you're absolutely right. This was, in my opinion, far more entertaining than the men's tournament. Yeah, I, I think that the men's was not super great. I, I suppose that my rebuttal to you would be that she didn't have to play Iga. She didn't have to beat Iga again. But uh, that so that's why I say the draw wasn't incredibly hard. But yeah, Mira Andrieva was somebody that gave Coco a lot of trouble not too long ago, and she wiped her off the court like it was nothing. Karolina Mukova was playing really, really good tennis up until that semifinal just got outclassed. Ostapenko, that was a little bit of an like weird match. I don't know what was going on. Like Ostapenko was complaining she didn't have enough time. And also Ostapenko's game is just one where it's like the ultimate feast or famine. I mean, it's nuts how she plays, but uh Coco was also asking for that uh she was asking for that 95 degree heat too, so that did not help. Yeah, Ostapenko. I mean that also definitely helped. But uh yeah, I mean in that final we can dig into that a little bit, right? Like what I saw in the first set was Coco having the sort of yips that I've seen her have before in big matches, right? I mean, particularly the thing that stood out to me was her forehand depth was not good. 
every single forehand was either bombing in the net, number one, or it was landing just in the service box. And that was allowing Sabalenka to just push Coco back really far. Good for Coco in that she was getting a bunch of balls that she had no business getting. Her court coverage was phenomenal. Genuinely, I think that might be the best court coverage I've ever seen a woman's tennis player have ever. I I don't think that that's an exaggeration. It was unbelievable to watch. And I think that you saw her in the second set. I don't know if it was Brad Gilbert or just herself. I think she almost was relieved that she lost that first set because she was just like, well, now I've got nothing to lose. And you saw her forehand depth really start to bother Sabalenka. Sabalenka couldn't come up comfortably. Those extra balls that Coco was making Sabalenka hit were slowly starting to make Sabalenka really tired. Sabalenka started missing some balls, becoming very frustrated with herself. It was just a real masterclass of, as Mark has mentioned, like winning ugly by Brad Gilbert. It was incredible to watch. Um, she's going to be awesome to watch. And everything that we've been thinking about the women's game being so tiered with Rabakana, Sviantek, and Sabalenka, throw it out the window. I mean, the women's game is very much back in the flux of things. Um, but, you know, for me, Coco is... It was an incredible, incredible performance. I'm really looking forward to the women's game next year because I think we're, there's there's a lot of really interesting matchups that are going to um, occur there. So I'll um, very quickly transition us to the men's game uh, or the men's side. Uh, Marcus, in my opinion, I don't really know if there's a ton to talk about with this final. I thought it kind of kind of blew chunks. But I'm interested to hear your opinion, what you saw, and and then we'll get into the Carlos stuff and everything afterwards. But let's talk about Novak in the final. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to talk specifically about the final match, um, I think a lot of people were very disappointed that Medvedev beat Carlos because we wanted that rematch between Carlos and Djokovic because that was going to be more entertaining. And we knew Djokovic-Med was just going to be a pure chess match, um, which it ended up being. And... Honestly, I, I think a lot of people can relate to this. It's really not that enjoyable to watch because Med, when he's up against Djokovic and Djokovic kind of goes into the style too, just hits the same ball over and over again, just changes direction. There's really not much variety going on from the baseline. Um, it was really nice to see Djokovic implement the serve and volley. That was a brilliant tactic that I think I had texted you about and said, hey, like he's this is something Carlos should have done too. I mean, Med is standing like in city field returning. I mean, you got to be able to close in that. There's no way he can pass you every time from back there. Even, even a drop shot serve, like pull a Nick Kyrgios just once, just to keep him honest, really. I mean, I, I don't care about the, and I don't think Med would take it personally. And people shouldn't take this personally either, these drop shot serves, but it should have been done just from a tactical perspective. A lot more drop shots from Djokovic would have been nice, but um, in, go ahead. I would just like to say very quickly, and then you can finish. The drop shot serve to me is no different than standing to the freaking wall when you're returning. There's no difference. Sorry. It's like, why can you? Yeah, it's just like, why can you hit a drop shot in the middle of a point and it'd be okay, but you can't do it right off the serve. It makes no sense. So um, I, I like the tactical adjustments for that. Obviously, the second set was incredible, almost two hours, and it was just long, grueling rallies. But other than that, 
things that once Joker, like I was really pulling for Med to win that second set because I knew that this was going to be an epic match if he wins it. If not, Joker's going to run away at the third because I knew Med was going to completely be deflated. And I can't blame him. I mean, he put in so much effort and he was the better player. Even Djokovic said so after the match that he was the better player during that set. But again, Djokovic just too clutch, just too good. Again, so mentally strong. Evil withstand the blows, even though he's about to pass out literally about to fall over and pass out, just kept coming in, serving volleying, taking time away, playing really smart tennis. So um, the final itself was kind of dog doo-doo, but you know, it, it just shows again. I mean, we had, we just keep doubting this guy, some people, and it's like, he just keeps proving himself. I mean, he wins Cincinnati, hasn't come to the U S in two years, comes when Cincinnati beats Carlos and then he just pretty much ripped through the open besides his little scare against Dejer, which I was not concerned about at all. Um, but he pretty much just ripped straight through Frankie. It was pretty impressive performance. Yeah, I pretty much agree with all of that. I think it's so funny that you mentioned the Jerry match because to me when I was watching that, even when he's down two sets to love, I'm just like, he's going to win. Like there's not like a doubt in my mind he's going to win. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, I was thinking about this yesterday and I legitimately think this might be the easiest major win that Novak Djokovic has ever had. And it's like not I'm not saying it's his fault. It's just like the draw broke out for him pretty nice. Uh, And the last match where he finally had someone to play, the guy just stunk. Like, Medvedev was not good yesterday. And for me, like, and again, I don't mean this as an insult. I, I, Novak Djokovic is 100% the deserving to be the U.S. Open champion. No doubt in my mind. Um, I don't really think Novak played, like, awesome yesterday. I think Novak played, like, fine. Like, just above average, maybe. I think Medvedev was just really, really bad. And Novak knew when to turn it on. I think Novak in the tiebreak played fantastic, fantastic tiebreak from him. I think in the first game of the third set to just get the break right away and just like kill the kill the match, fantastic. Like Novak had his moments in those clutch points where he was like, I'm going to turn it on. I need to turn it on. But otherwise, I think he was kind of just like, I don't need to play so hard right now and wear myself out. It is just not necessary because this guy's not playing well. I need to just let Medvedev beat himself. And he did. And that's, you know, that's not a a negative against Djokovic. If anything, I'm complimenting him. But I think that that is the reality of what we saw. I texted you, Marcus. I was completely wrong about this final. I thought after Medvedev beat Carlos, he was going to win this whole thing because I saw the way that he played Carlos. And number one, Carlos also played badly in that semifinal. But I saw the way that he played, and I'm just like, this dude's on a mission he's really not been bothered for much of this tournament. Like we've been sleeping on him. Like he's going to serve big. He's going to go for it. Like he's beaten Djokovic before he's got to have confidence. And med did everything that I thought that he wouldn't number one, his serve horrible. His serve was horrific yesterday. I don't know if he was having some shoulder problems. I saw him get treated. His serve was terrible. So let's that's number one. Number two, the returning thing. I literally was going to turn the match off at one point because the fact that this guy is standing 20 feet back and getting serve and volleyed 
it, it is mind-numbing to me that you don't make that adjustment. He lost three points in the tiebreak because he did the exact same thing three times in a row. He stood 20 feet back on the deuce side and just blasted the return to the middle of nowhere, out, out, and he just lost, like, gave away three points in the tiebreak. At one point, he was up 4-1 in the tiebreak, and then it got to 4-2 on Novak's serve, and again, he just stands 20 feet back, easy bat, like, serve and volley winner. It was, it was infuriating to watch. And credit to Djokovic, Djokovic made all the volleys. Djokovic had an insane second set. I actually disagree. I don't think that Medvedev was the better player in the second set. I think they were probably about even. Novak won 22 of 23 points at the net in the second set. 22 out of 23. I mean, uh, for, to be honest, Frankie, it really is not that difficult when the guy is standing like 30 no, feet behind I, the baseline. I understand. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I 100% agree with you. And that's like, why that's I'm what saying, you should like, do. <laughs> like, I could hit those volleys, for God's sakes. Like, and this is what is frustrating to me, is that all you had to do was stand like five feet up. I, I, I'm struggling to, it was almost like, and I hate to say this, it was almost like Daniil was throwing the match. I, I was just perplexed as to how Daniil thought that that strategy was going to work. Like his overall strategy of trying to wear down Novak, I mean, that is dangerous. It, it almost like, that, No one has ever done that. It almost worked, though, in that second set. I mean, he really had Djokovic almost fallen over. Now, I was also messaging you telling you that if Daniil, in addition to standing closer on the return, if Daniil just had any sort of trends, I mean, it was like watching an under-12 boy. You know, when he you ever watch, like, go up. it's like... He refused. He, he kept the, running back. He was, like, close to the service line, and he would run back. He was allergic to the net. And I'm like, dude, half, like, more than 50% of these points, if you just took an approach shot and had any sort of decent volleys, you don't even need to have crazy volleys. You just got to be able to put it into the open court. You would be winning all these points. You're costing yourself not only... The point itself. So when you run back, it's like back to neutral. You're also costing yourself so much energy at the end of the match. You're so tired and that you need treatment because you're not able to close these points out. Whereas we saw Djokovic at some point, he was like, all right, that's it. Screw this. I'm coming to net hell or high water. And most of the time he won because, again, Daniil is standing 30 feet behind the baseline. He can't really he doesn't have that much topspin to like really hit that good of a passing shot because when you hit a flat ball like that, everything's kind of going up or at least solid. It's not it's really way easier to prep for the volley. You just right. keep your racket still. Like if it, you're dealing with a topspin ball, it's like you're catching a, a baseball on the short hop. It's a yeah. much harder shot. You could pop it up, whatever. Daniil's balls are just going right at it. Like yeah. I want to say on that deuce side, there was like seven deuce points in a row where the same thing just happened over and over and over again. Easy forehand volley. And Joke and the thing is the funny thing is Djokovic was not even hitting these volleys that good at some point. He was just dumping it inside the service box because he knew it. there's no way Daniel's gonna be running from City Park or from City Field all the way over to you know inside the service box. So Daniel, I think overall, if if he's gonna work on some stuff in the offseason, if he really wants to be because he, he's proven he can win a lot at this style. But if he wants to take it to a next level and beat two of these guys back-to-back, -back, which is pretty much what you need to do now, um, if you want to win a Grand Slam, if your name is not Carlos or Novak, you got to make these adjustments. you got to be able to come to that. you got to be able to close points. you got to be able to make these tactical adjustments. And maybe he just doesn't have that in his game yet. I don't think he does, but that's something him and his coach really need to look in the mirror at. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I just, I'm very disappointed in Daniil. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm just, I'm just so disappointed because I think he had a formula of how to beat Novak. He beat him earlier in the year in Dubai. He beat him two years ago at the U.S. Open, and obviously things have changed. But, like, I, I thought that the clear strategy was go in there, serve big, and attack. Like, get Novak on the back foot. Do not let Novak get any momentum. You need to just go, like, full, you know, like, balls to the wall, like, scorched earth. That's how Daniil can win. And he was just doing the opposite. He was, like, rubbing, like, aloe vera on the earth. Like, it was just so... Like, it's good to sit aloe vera on the earth. <laughs> I mean, it it was. It was horrific. <laughs> he was massaging a lot of balls, dude. Especially a lot of those backhands cross court. I was dude, like, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. That <sighs> backhand cross courts. You're, oh, that was the other thing. I don't know if you noticed. Daniil could not hit a ball down the line the entire match. Could not. He was going cross court every single time. He was just it, unable to go down the line. It was it was mind numbing. It's funny that you mentioned that because when he did go down the line, I'd say he won about seventy to eighty percent of those points when he did. But he just kept massaging it cross court. I'm like, dude, you got to change direction. How about you throw in a slice? Like just just throw in a slice. Just you know, Djokovic was doing that great, hitting the slice backhand, taking things out of rhythm. Like Danielle, we got to You can't keep doing the same thing i mean djokovic is just too solid and will out brain game you he will come to net he will drop shot you just started drop shotting i thought that was brilliant i'm like novak just do that earlier daniel's got no net game has no business running up there he has no idea what to do with it it, it was like it was like playing like you ever read like those those articles on how to beat like a classic pusher like use angles hit drop shots come to net i mean that's literally what we saw something that you would be taught when you're like 14 yeah, no, I mean, Novak, like if any kid out there or your child is having trouble beating a pusher, put on this match. That's how you win. Serve and volley, bring them in, make them uncomfortable. That's it. I mean, it, it really was not a complicated match to watch. It was incredibly disappointing. And in some ways, I'm happy that it was incredibly disappointing because I would have rather watched football than that crap anyway. So um, it's just the truth. Well, uh, Marcus, good, we're going to do a separate episode about how amazing Novak is and what this means. Uh, we're going to save that. That deserves its own yeah. piece at this point. But I want to hear your thoughts about the rest of the draw. I think we had some big losers. FAA getting bounced. Holger Rune getting bounced. Casper Rude getting bounced. Sitsipas getting bounced. A lot of guys just no bueno. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, the U.S. Open is one of the toughest slams just because it is at the end of the slam season. You've got the, the French Open, then Wimbledon kind of right away, then a brutal American hardcourt swing, and then you're going to play three out of five in New York Heat at the end of summer on a hardcourt. That could be tough on the younger guys who aren't used to managing themselves as well. So um, not not too surprised there. And the U S open also produces some freak results. You get a lot of Americans who do well with home crowd support. Ben Shelton, shout out to him for making the semifinals. Awesome run for him. Um, actually, Frankie, speaking of guys who were disappointed, uh, wanted to get your thoughts on Yannick Sinner's loss versus Zverev. Yeah. I mean, so I want to give Zverev his flowers first. I think he great, played very well. Tournament. I think he played very well, and the fact that he's back here, 
after his injury, I think is really remarkable and a testament to how hard this guy works at his craft outside of his other extracurricular activities, which will not be mentioned. Um, not today. Not today. Um, but so that's firstly. I don't want to say that Yannick lost that match. I think Zverev did win it. So credit to him. For Yannick, you just can't lose it. You just can't lose that match. You did the hard part. You got through like the first three rounds. You got through Stan pretty easily when that could have been a tricky match because Stan Vavrenko was playing pretty well. And you got through it in four. You did the like good, good job. And then just absolutely came out and laid an egg against Zverev. Just could not figure out how to beat him. I, I mean, it's weird because the serve was a little bit off. The variety wasn't really there. He kept getting into these backhand to backhand rallies with Zverev, which is puzzling to me. I, no bueno I don't know why you would ever do that. Zverev, say what you want about him. Zverev has a top three backhand on the tour, IMO still. So I wouldn't go near that. He does all his dictating from there. And yeah, I mean, it's also just a consistency thing. Like even in his previous match with Vavrenka, Sinner made a ton of errors. He was just making a lot of mistakes. And in this match against Zverev, it was the same thing. Like, I get it. He's got the firepower. He needs to hit that to keep guys honest. But we can dial it back like 5 or 10% and start making some balls. Um, you know, I just... Like... It's totally fine. Like, it's fine. I guess, like, it's it's fine. Like, you lost to somebody like Zverev. Like, it's not a horrible loss. It's just you expected more. You expected more from him. Yeah, That's my it, take on it. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's just you and, you and I, Frankie. Like, I don't think we're looking at this loss specifically um, because, again, Zverev's on the come up again, entering the top 10 again, and he's clearly back. Uh, it's just kind of... You know, we've been waiting for Sinner to finally break out and we're still waiting and it's just getting a little bit. It's kind of like, you know, when are you going to do it, man? Because you've got Carlos, you've got Daniil, you've got, I mean, Djokovic still clearly running the show. Um, you know, we're kind of hoping that something comes into the fold sooner rather than later with him. Yeah, I think the question that Jan has to ask himself, truthfully, you know, I understand and I can see literally you could see it. His body is not there yet. His body is just not, he does not have a man's body yet. No. Needs I, I mean, to, he, needs to he, he has clearly grown, right? He's taller than Sonigo. So he's like at least six, three and a half now. And he has gained no weight. And so that's, that needs to be fixed. Uh, Jan, the question that he needs to ask himself is do you want to be Andre Rublev or do you want to be Carlos Alcaraz? Do you want to be in that upper echelon of tennis players or do you are you content with being Andre Rublev, a guy who's really good? We like will win a Masters 1000 or two if he gets the right draw. But in a major, he's not getting past the quarterfinal. Just can't do it. That's that's the that's the point that we're at. I think, you know, we'll talk about it in our preview for 2024 later this year. But that's the biggest question mark for Jan this year. He made the top eight. He's going to get into the ATP finals. That's awesome. Great accomplishment. Nice job. But now it's time. 2024, it's, you know, quote, shit or get off the pot. So that's my take on it. 
Yeah, no, I'm with you there. I think it's just kind of a, a cumulative frustration with him. Um, but yeah, he, he's got to he's got to put on some muscle and eat. I mean, this is this is getting crazy. Um, this is why he doesn't go deep in slams. We've talked about this, so we're just beating a dead horse. But last topic quickly here, Frankie. Um, one of the guys who we haven't talked about much, uh, but clearly needs to be talked about, is Carlos Alcaraz. Uh, kind of a disappointing U.S. Open for him in the sense that not really for me it was more so the not even the effort but just I think it looked like he kind of mentally tapped out even when he played Sverev he was playing like kind of poorly and Sverev I just think had kind of a bad match too and then against Med he just made no adjustments. I mean, his usual drop shotting tactics didn't do him at all, which blew my mind because Daniil's like the number one guy who you should drop shot against. No serve and volleying, did not change his tactics, just got broken down by Med. Um, I mean, credit to Medvedev. He played an amazing match and he did what he needed to do. But I think Carlos uh, even said it himself in the press conference afterwards that he's just he wasn't mature enough to win that type of match where, you know, the other guy's making you so uncomfortable and not you know, when you're playing against someone like a Djokovic or stuff, you guys are both going for it. Like they're going to be more errors and you're going to give a bit more slack. But when you're playing against Med, there's no room for error. He's just making every ball, every return. Um, so I saw Carlos kind of, I think, just tap out mentally a little bit. I think it's been a long year for him. He's won six titles. He's won a Grand Slam. We got to keep in mind he's only 20 years old. You know, he it's a lot for him at the moment and I don't really expect too much for him for the rest of the year besides the tour finals and a couple of the masters that we're going to see at the end of the year. But um, Frankie, your thoughts on Carlos's U S open. Yeah, I, I would echo a lot of what you just said. Um, I think his serve was not good. Uh, something was up with his shoulder. I believe if I'm remembering right, he got some sort of treatment serve was no good. Um, which this open, this U.S. Open, that was definitely the theme. Your serve had to be good for you to really have a chance. Novak served masterfully, really, the whole tournament. So uh, I think that's why he won, um, out, uh, amongst other things. But that is a, a certainly part of it. Uh, my other thing with Carlos that, you know, tactically, I agree with you. I think everything you said is completely right. I think... Truthfully, I got to see Carlos three times in person this year, just kind of lined up with with when I went. Um, I don't want to say that it was complacent, but it looked complacent. Like in his match that I was watching against Dan Evans, Carlos is up two sets to love. Should have closed that match out in three, no problem. Ends up losing the ends up uh, losing the third set, gets to a fourth. And like you think that that's no big deal. Like a win's a win. Dan Evans is a top 20 guy. But like that's the kind of match where it's like minimize your court time, get in, get out. Don't even give this guy a sliver of hope. Just beat him down. Um, and I saw that happen a few times uh, with Carlos over this tournament. And I think my guess as to what it is, is that a Carlos Alcaraz is 20 years old. B this is the most amount of tennis that he's ever played. He's the number one player in the world for most of this year. So he got highly seated at all. He really didn't have a bad tournament where he bounced out in the first round that I can think of. So he yeah. just played a ton of matches, a ton of court time. I think it just caught up to him. I think we just saw it catch up to him. And I really wonder if that match in Cincinnati wore him out a lot more than, than we're leading on or was led on. Um, 
I think he just had a lot of court time under his legs. And I think his body was just like, I don't know if I can do this. Um, which, which applies to a lot of players on the tour, by the way. Yeah. But uh, when you get to this high of a level in the semifinals and onward, little tiny things like that, it's a difference between winning and losing. And unfortunately, a guy like Medvedev doesn't necessarily, as Marcus said, go in trying to win the match as much as he's trying to make you lose. And it was sort of like a perfect storm where Carlos didn't have his usual pep and energy to win the match. And because of the way that Medvedev was playing, he got he got Carlos to lose the match. That would be my sort of take on the whole thing. Yeah, it's spot on. He um the the good news is that he he's 20 years old. So him he's learning so much through these tournaments and through these matches and his coaching team is going to make adjustments and obviously we're going to see a, an amazing 2024 from him. Um, but overall still a great slam year for him, you know, uh, Dude, missed- he won Wimbledon number one player in the world for most of the year. Yeah. Semifinals of the U S open is not bad. And the French open means. too. Yeah. So right? like- I mean, just destroyed Zverev, which was hilarious. Yeah. And I didn't uh, even, honestly, I didn't even think he played that well. Like he had like a, I was at that match. I could tell you he didn't play that well. Yeah. His forehand Zverev to- was just done. <laughs> Zverev's body yeah. was done. Yeah, Yannick so, Sinner did him a favor there. That is true. That is true. So I'm not too concerned about Carlos. Um, I, I just think it was a bad, bad, bad match and bad matchup. And if for that day, I think normally he'll beat Medvedev. But overall, yeah, the weather also the weather was also a factor there. The humidity and the heat was yeah. at its peak on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and I think that really it it limited his ability to 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 get that extra oomph. Yeah, and Medvedev's pretty conservative uh, besides all the running around, but his strokes itself are pretty conservative. So not too concerned about Carlos. Um, I think we're going to see a, a couple of uh, good Masters tournaments coming up uh, in October. Um, but otherwise, great U.S. Open. Uh, more entertained by the women than, than we were by the men. But overall, another great tournament. Again, congratulations to Coco Goff and Novak Djokovic. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Marcus, I'll also end this with saying that I think that you are right. I think the U.S. Open is the best major of the year. Um, I think it just has. I think you're right. After watching this one, I was kind of reminded of it. And I was like, yeah, like prime time at the Open. There's just nothing really like it. I mean, the other majors have copied it. That's how much that's how good it is, you know, and just being Arthur Ashe's biggest stadium. It's just different. Yeah. So I miss it. Uh, I miss it. Yeah, yeah it, no, it was great. It was great. Um, anyway, thanks for listening, everyone. We really appreciate it. We're going to have some interesting convos about Ben Shelton, uh, the tennis fashion of the U.S. Open, which uh, we'll have our lovely guest host Shelby Slower on for. And uh, we will have some more uh, going for you here in the off season. So thanks for listening. We appreciate it. And we'll talk to you guys later. See ya. Thanks, guys.